Badass of the Week is an iHeartRadio podcast produced by High Five Content. The Gatling Cannon unleashes its final barrage of 30 millimeter ammunition. The burst of explosive rounds slam into fortified enemy positions, ripping through concrete and sandbags and destroying the enemy weapons teams hidden within. Captain Kim Campbell of the 75th Expeditionary Fighter Squadron pulls her A-10 out of a steep dive. As the commander of the American ground forces informs her over comms that her shots hit their targets, the sound of cheering soldiers can be heard in the background. But Baghdad is still in the hands of the elite Iraqi Republican Guard, and every anti-aircraft gun in the city is now pointed in the direction of her A-10 Warthog. Klaxons blare as air defense systems target her plan. Flak rounds detonate in the skies around her, filling the air with shrapnel. Streams of tracers from high-caliber AA machine guns sweep around her cockpit from all sides. Captain Campbell pulls hard on the control stick, diving and weaving the aircraft through the hail of bullets. She deploys the last of her countermeasures. She opens the throttle. It's not enough. With a bang, an enemy missile strikes home, ripping the tail off her plane. Alarms ring as more rounds clang off the fuselage from all sides. Her engines are on fire. The controls stop responding. Her aircraft enters a nosedive over enemy-occupied Baghdad. Captain Kim Campbell might have helped save the American soldiers on the ground, but now she's going to have to find a way to get herself home alive. Hello, and welcome back to Badass of the Week. My name is Ben Thompson, and I am here as always with my co-host, Dr. Pat Larish. Pat, it is uh, New Year's 2024. As of the recording of this, it's um, day two of 2024. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. Yeah. Do you have any resolutions for 2024? Why, yes, I do, Ben. (laughs) My external monitor has a resolution of 1920 by 1080 as a default. (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. Okay, that joke was funny in 1982. Um, (laughs) That was back when you had to know the resolutions of your monitor because you had to like, if you had a computer game, you had to set it to the correct resolution. Nowadays, it knows and it adapts. But like, there was always that thing of like, if you didn't know the exact resolution of your monitor, you had to, you would input it and then it would give you all these weird dimensions. You know, is it like, does this work? No, this looks like crap. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Ben? Do you have any resolutions? No, not really. Uh, keep trying to keep trying to do the show, I think. We're working on this project yeah. and trying to find some yep. new projects to work on. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, it's a new year and we're we're gonna be doing some some new stuff. We've got some new characters that we want to talk about on the show. I think that will be uh that'll be fun. We have some pretty cool ideas for for different episodes and different uh, types of people that we want to we want to talk about, so we've got a lot of stuff in the works right now, and I think that'll be really fun to to get into it. Yeah, yeah. We're going to start off 2024 talking about a story that I really have a close like. This story really makes me happy, and I, I really it involves an aircraft that brings a lot of joy to me personally. Um, it's an aircraft that I wrote about in the very early days of the website. It's always been one of my favorite airplanes, but it's not, or it's gotten more love in the years since I wrote the article. But, you know, around the time I was working on it, it, it wasn't as well known as the, you know, the jet fighters and kind of the, the sexier, sleeker, more, you know, maneuverable aircraft uh, in various military histories. And, uh, but for me, I always had a soft spot for, this this a10 uh it is a it's called the warthog and it is just kind of this slowish kind of ugly big meaty aircraft that blows things up 
And uh, I always really loved it. And I wrote an article about it in the early days of the website. And it was really cool because I got a lot of emails back from people who flew the thing. So I wrote about this A-10. I was like, this is a cool plane. It doesn't get enough love. And um and a bunch of A-10 pilots wrote me back. And some of them were like, yeah, I thought this was really funny, really cool. We printed it out. We put it in our squadron room. Um, and that's awesome. And, and that made me Yay. really happy. It was like yeah. a very rewarding thing because I had kind of just gotten going on the website. It was very, very early on for me. And I hadn't really received a ton of fan mail. Certainly nothing like that before, which was really cool. Yeah. 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 So is our story just about the airplane or? No. And, you know, originally when I wrote it, it was about, you know, why I loved this aircraft. And I'm going to talk about it as we go through the the episode today. But yeah, uh, yeah. a few years after I wrote that article, a story came out of a really amazing combat experience that it had during the second Iraq war. The A-10 was extremely valuable and did a lot of heavy lifting during Desert Storm 1991. But for the second Iraq war, um, there was a story that started coming out. And because I had written this article on the website and people knew I liked it, I started getting a ton of email from people being like, oh, you know, here's a really cool story involving that 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 aircraft you like. Um, check it out. Check it out. Mm -hmm. And so I got into the story of of Kim Campbell, Captain Kim Campbell, not to be confused with the first prime minister of Canada, Kim Campbell, but... Um, the first female prime minister of Canada. Yes, first female prime minister of Canada. There are others before her, yeah. yes. Uh -huh. uh, and... Um, but we're talking about the pilot, Kim Campbell. Yes. And she has this really amazing story. And the more I read about it, the more I liked it. Um, and so I thought that it would be a really cool opportunity to talk about both this plane and this amazing experience, this amazing feat of kind of flying heroism that was performed uh, 20 years ago now. But I remember getting emails when it happened, you know, and that, that, was, really, that was really fulfilling. It's a cool story that we're going to tell you about after the break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. 
kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. So, who is Kim Campbell? Well, she was born Kim Reed into a family that was really involved with flying. Her dad is Chuck Reed, the former mayor of San Jose, but more relevant for our story here, he was also a captain in the Air Force. And Kim joined the Civil Air Patrol at age 13. That's the civilian auxiliary of the U.S. Air Force. And it's a volunteer organization that promotes civilian pilot education, helps out with things like search and rescue operations. During World War II, it was a way to get civilian aviation resources involved in the war effort. And after the war, it changed its charter, and now it's no longer doing any combat activities. So this is attracting Kim Reed's attention. At age 13, that's a pretty early age to get involved with, yeah, uh, with flight. Yeah. But I guess if you're growing up in that type of family, it's uh, kind of expected. Yeah. She flies her first civilian flight at 17. And she wanted as much of this flying thing as she could get. She said in an interview that she was even dreaming of becoming an astronaut. And okay, we've all dreamt of becoming an astronaut, but it's probably a little more plausible for her than for many of the rest of us. Yeah, because you do actually have to be able to fly an aircraft for that. <laughs> yes, yes. That was the thing I always liked about Neil Armstrong. When Neil Armstrong passed away, his son said that mm -hmm. Neil was amazing, but he was really hard to watch TV with because every time they showed the interior cockpit of an aircraft, Neil Armstrong would be like, that's not what the inside of that plane looks like. Because he'd flown like every <laughs> plane on earth and he knew what the insides of all of them look like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And who knows, maybe that's what Kim Reed and her dad would talk about at the dinner table too. You Probably. Know? <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, so she goes to the U.S. Air Force Academy. She graduates as a cadet wing commander, which is the highest possible rank for a cadet. This was in 1997. Yeah, and her dad had been one also, and it was the first time that like a father and daughter had like both been that rank, because there's, there's only a couple and you yeah. graduate for each class, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So by 2003, she's a six-year veteran. She's promoted to captain. She's one of only 50, 50 yeah. female fighter pilots at the time. And she said, oh, I get asked that a lot. What's it like to be a female in a fighter squadron? Honestly, I never think about it. The important thing is to work really hard and be good at it. And then nobody cares what gender you are. I'm not a female fighter pilot. I'm just a fighter pilot. And I love it. Which I love. Like, that's such a great attitude of like, yeah. you know, who cares? Like it back in 2000, it's like nowadays it doesn't come up as much. This is 2003 yeah, that she's doing yeah. this interview and it, there were only 50 women in the Air Force like flying attack aircraft at the time. Uh, it's not that many. Nowadays, it's totally different. You would, I don't feel like oh, women yeah. would get asked that question anymore if they were doing interviews about the combat missions they'd been on. But, um, but at the time, she was kind of groundbreaking. And I love that she was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to make a big deal out of this. Like, I just, I'm just a fighter pilot, like all the other guys, right? Like, I'm just out there doing my thing. And yeah. as long as you don't, as long as you get your stuff done, like nobody, nobody cares. And one of the things she got done was a mission in Afghanistan. And then when that was over, what's next? So would the rotation allow her a bit of a breather? Nope. She was rotated right into Kuwait to prepare for a mission in Iraq. And that's what we'll tell you about shortly. Yeah. So by 2003, right? So she graduates in 97. And I mean, everything kind of goes nuts a few years later. And so by 2003, 
when the U.S. enters the Iraq war. I mean, she's a six-year veteran, but like combat veteran, Afghanistan, tours of duty, right? You know, Operation Enduring Freedom, War on Terror. You know, in 1997, when she graduated, there were no wars, and now there's a bunch, right? And so she's she's kind of getting into combat in a way that she probably wasn't expecting, and really nobody was. Uh, so yeah, uh, things are getting called into duty. And this A-10, this aircraft is being called into duty as well. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the A-10, uh, this aircraft that I mentioned in the open. Uh, and it's the one that she's assigned to fly. She's a fighter pilot. She flies. The official term for the aircraft is the A-10 Thunderbolt II, but nobody calls it the Thunderbolt. They call it the Warthog because it's, it's big and ugly and and they paint mean faces on it and it's <laughs> it, 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 it's not uh it's not top gun it's not one of those like sleek sexy fighter jets that you would picture this is kind of a big ugly behemoth yeah yeah sturdy chonky i would even go so far as to call it snub nosed at least as airplanes go you know and if you picture an actual warthog like Pumbaa in The Lion King, you know, he's sturdy, got a blunt sort of snout, tusks, whatever that corresponds to on an airplane. He's covered in bristles, well adapted to not getting eaten by lions or cheetahs or whatever. And unlike Pumbaa, our A-10 warthog is probably not going to break out into song. No, probably not. And so you'll often see with those shark faces or like monster faces that you see, think like the flying tigers from World War II. It is like a big, tough, ugly, like workhorse vehicle that fills a very particular niche in the U.S. Air Force's military air military aviation. Um, but it's a niche that it it wasn't originally designed for. It was designed to fill something completely different. But uh, it ended up mm -hmm. it got used for other things, and and there's really nothing quite like this. So I'll get into a little bit of the history here. Um, the A-10 was designed in the late 60s to kind of replace an old propeller plane uh, that had, from the World War II era. It was uh, called the A-1 Sky Raider. And it was like a propeller in the front kind of plane. It was designed to like basically drop napalm on ground targets in Vietnam is mostly what it was used for. Um, but the problem with the A-1 was that you could, a guy standing on the ground he probably had to have pretty good aim, but he could shoot a bullet through the cockpit or through the bottom of the aircraft and really mess it up. And so um, that's not going to work for a ground attack aircraft. Uh, they needed to replace that. So they came up with this A-10 program. It was called the AX program, but the A-10 is what came out of it. Um, but what this thing was designed to do was in the late 60s, early 70s, we were expecting ground war in Europe with the Soviet Union, who had huge fleets of big, heavy tanks. The US needed something, NATO needed something to provide air support, which means shoot things on the ground, blow up tanks, blow up trucks, blow up artillery pieces, uh, and also to be able to call out coordinates of these things and designate targets for aircraft that would come afterwards. And so the A-10, it needed this, this aircraft they were designing, it needed to have be a little faster than an attack helicopter, um, but it needed to be armored and tough enough that it couldn't be taken out by some guy standing on the ground with an AK. Had needed to have armor. Yeah. And it needed to have a gun mm -hmm. that was big enough to stop Russian tanks. That sounds like it could get kind of heavy. Yeah, could get heavy, right? It's then that's where we're gonna go with this. So the Air Force puts out bids in 1966, and Fairchild Republic wins the bid. Uh they create this A-10. It has its first flight in 1972, goes into service in 77, um, and 700 of them have been built since then. Uh, most of them are still in service 50 years after their first flight. It's kind of amazing. Hey, good for them. Yeah. So they survive. Yes, They're they survive. That is going to be yeah. a theme of this episode is that this this thing doesn't <laughs> die, right? Um, um, this thing, they ain't got time to bleed, right? It's not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna go down <laughs> easy. And, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of equipment in the U.S. military can trace its survivability back to 1972. That's kind of old for, you know, modern military yeah. equipment. Sure, like 
they've put a lot of upgrades in it, right? The the avionics are different, the countermeasures are different, the electronics are different. A lot of the equipment has been upgraded and changed, but this is still pretty impressive. So the what they needed and what this thing does is it uh, it takes off from short runways. It operates close to the front lines. It gets in the middle of everything. It doesn't need a lot of maintenance. Um, it is big and it is heavily armored. It has 1,200 pounds of titanium armor that protect the pilot and all of the important guts of the aircraft from dudes on the ground with guns. Uh, this thing can like take hits from 20 millimeter cannons and keep going. Wow. So would you call it a tank of the air or does that not do it justice? No, that's like actually like a pretty good analogy. And that's one that you'll see often when we talk about this aircraft. People will kind of refer to it as like a flying tank because that's what it was basically designed to be. Uh, it's going to fly in. It's got these two, uh, it's got two big General Electric turbofans. They generate a ton of thrust, um, but this thing is big and it's heavy and it carries a lot of ordnance and it's not particularly fast, which we're going to come back to in a second because that is that is helpful and not helpful. Um, the, the the engines are pretty cool because they're positioned in the back of the airplane. Uh, if you look at the, the airplane, like you said, it's snub nose. You can see this big gun sticking out the front nose of the aircraft. Uh, but the, the turbojet fans are in the back, uh, kind of near the, like, like what you'd see for like a, you know, like a Learjet kind of thing. Um, this allows the pilot of the, of the A-10 to keep the engines running while the ground crews add fuel and rearm it and reload the guns and put new bombs on and all that stuff. So they can fly a mission, land, they don't have to turn the aircraft off. They can leave it running. They can oh, yeah. re, re, get it ready to go again and then just take right back off again. And that is what happens with these a lot. Uh, the slow speed of it, 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 I mean, it goes 420 miles an hour. It's not slow, slow. It's not a, it's not a biplane, no. but, uh, but that's but not by going airplane to, standards. Yeah. That's not going to outmaneuver a MIG, right? Like, um, it's, so it's not designed for air to air and while it can deflect ground fire, machine guns, you know, auto cannons, flak guns, that kind of stuff. It's not going to outrun a heat seeking missile. It's not designed to take out enemy aircraft. Um, but the slow speed actually ends up helping it out a little bit because some of these super fast aircraft, they fly too fast to see or hit a ground target, right? This thing can come in kind of slow, can kind of size it up, line up the, the shot, et cetera. And um, whereas something coming in at like Mach 2.5, if if they they need somebody on the ground with a laser pointer uh, to hit the target, they're not going to, because they can't see it, they're passing too, over too fast. Yeah, yeah. So the A-10, it's got a bunch of hard points under the wings for bombs and stuff. It can carry like 16,000 pounds of air to ground bombs and laser guided, infrared guided ordnance, all this stuff. Um, but it's designed around this cannon that you see sticking out the front of the aircraft. Uh, it's a 30 millimeter GAU 8A Avenger seven barrel Gatling gun, which you'll picture like, like a machine gun, but a 30 millimeter shell weighs like a pound and a half. It's an explosive. And this thing shoots them at like 3,900 rounds per minute. It's uh, Oof. it's it's one of the biggest guns ever mounted on an aircraft. Um, and what they did with this vehicle was basically build this gun and then build the aircraft around the gun. So not just design the plane around the gun, but they actually literally assembled it around the gun. Yes, yes. So when that bid went out, they were like, we need we need a gun that will kill Russian tanks and we need enough armor to survive them shooting back at you. Okay, that's the deal. So they built this big giant gun and literally like the front landing gear of the aircraft is offset to the starboard side because you have to have the gun on the center line. Oh, yeah. So this gets it out of the way then. Yeah. 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 You have cool. to be able to, because when you're, when you're in the, when you're in the pilot seat and you are coming in for a, an attack run, you need the gun to be centered on your center line. So that means got to move that landing gear out of the way. Who needs that? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that yep. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it shoots depleted uranium shells. Um, you have to go into a 30 degree dive. And when you, you hear people talk about flying this thing, they say that the entire cockpit shutters 
when the gun goes off. It makes a very distinctive sound. It's this like, it's this like hum. And uh, they say that it slows, the, the aircraft slows down in speed because of the recoil of the gun, like pushing back on the plane. Um, the ammo drum for this thing is like six feet long. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there's a great picture. Somebody took one out and they put it next to a Volkswagen Beetle. And it's like <laughs> twice the size of that car, <laughs> just the gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it first appeared in the 70s. And like I said, it was supposed to fight land war in Europe against the Soviets. But uh, but that yeah. didn't happen. And for the most part, the A-10 didn't get a lot of action until Desert Storm in 1991. Um then it really shone because we said it's not good at anti-air capabilities, but the U.S. Air Force knocked out the Iraqi Air Force day one of that war. It turns out this thing's really effective at uh, at destroying things when there is no enemy air force to be had, uh, which will be a common hey. thing throughout the war on terror. Um, and also, hey, it turns out that in 1991, the Iraqi army is still using those Soviet tanks from 1972 that this airplane was designed to blow up. <laughs> hey, that's convenient. Yeah. So you've got uh, something <laughs> okay, like Okay, so woo. <laughs> go Warthog. Yeah, I figured it out, right? It worked out. It, it all worked out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they said they flew like 8,000 sorties in uh, like combat combat missions in in Desert Storm. They killed something like, blew up something like 1,000 tanks, 1,000 artillery pieces, 1,000 trucks, 50 Scud missile launchers, just, just wiping out everything on the ground, right? And we all kind of know that Desert Storm was a pretty serious ass-kicking. Um, and Iraq at the time had the third biggest army in the world, right? And uh, the A-10 was a big part of kind of knocking a lot Defeating. of that out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, you get you get to be a you become a flying ace for shooting down five enemy aircraft, and these guys were going out here. There's only there's only maybe 130 A-10s that fought in that war, but taking out X number of thousands of enemy vehicles is pretty pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. The uh, the A-10s kind of stayed in service since then. They fly them all throughout the war on terror. They still have them out and, you know, they're still in operation. They keep trying to replace them with other stuff because some of the higher ups at the Air Force, they don't like that this thing's from 1972 and it's it's slow and it's ugly. And they don't, you know, they like we're keep trying to phase it out. Oh, the F-35 is going to do the thing for it. No, no, no. Everybody gets mad. Oh, we can do this with a drone. No, 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 no. We're not going to do this with a drone. Every time the Air Force proposes phasing out the Warthog, everybody, you know, gets angry and then the Air Force drops it. So... What I like to say is, well, the joke I used to make is that they're still using them in Terminator Salvation, although now I realize that that movie was set in 2018, so it's technically in the past because uh, ChatGPT hasn't quite become Skynet yet. Don't give it ideas. <laughs> um, also, there's a weird side note about the A-10 is that it's the first aircraft to ever fly with all engines powered entirely by biofuel that they made out of like wood and, and like grass and stuff. Oh. So that's cool. cool. <laughs> okay. Hey, no wonder it has fans. I mean, humans who are enthusiastic about it. But yeah, <laughs> it also has General Electric TF 34 GE 100 turbofan engines. <laughs> that's true. Yes. And so there's a lot of fans. On and of the Warthog. Yeah. And um, yes. And so we are, you know, like we've been said, we've been talking about the, the vehicle. And now we're going to talk about Kim Campbell flying this vehicle in one of the missions that it is most famous for. Uh, and we're going to get into that right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, 
assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. It's April 7th, 2003. It's day four of the nine-day Battle of Baghdad during the Second Iraq War. Fighting is raging across the Iraqi capital, and American and other allied soldiers and Marines are storming through the streets. Uh, they're taking heavy fire from the Republican Guard, who is the kind of elite troops of Saddam Hussein's army. They're kind of super committed, super well-trained. They've got the best equipment in the Iraqi army, and they are like fanatically loyal. They're going to fight to the end. They are also fighting in Baghdad in their home turf, and they've got traps everywhere. They've got choke points. They've got minefields. They've got, they've got every bridge zeroed in. And the Americans are trying to take the Iraqi capital. And with it, Saddam Hussein's palace and him as well. So the Republican Guard is fighting hard to to stop this. Uh, and gunfire explosions, a lot of the big portions of the city have people have fled. Um, so there's a lot of kind of deserted skyscrapers and apartment buildings. But the toughest troops in the Iraqi army are fighting hard to the last remnants of Saddam Hussein's empire. And a little north of downtown proper, you've got the North Baghdad Bridge. And this is critical. It's this important crossing over the mighty Tigris River, and it's ha it has to be taken. You have to take it, you have to hold it if the Allies want to have any chance of cutting off enemy reinforcements and capturing the city. Yeah. Who's going to do it? Yeah, it's the Tigris of like Tigris and Euphrates, one of the most famous rivers in the world, yep. and it runs through Baghdad, and the Americans have to take it. And so the task is given to the US 3rd Infantry Division. Um, they've kind of m marched all the way in here. They've, they're, fighting, uh, they're fighting hard for Baghdad, and things are kind of getting hairy for them. Uh, on the far side of the bridge, holding an objective that's only 400 meters from their positions, are Republican Guard forces, heavily entrenched, heavily fortified, sandbags, you know, uh, concrete barriers, heavy machine guns, uh, RPGs, everything. And it's all zeroed in on that bridge that the Americans have to cross. The fight is on, right? There's this huge gunfight. Everybody's, you know, shooting, shooting on both sides, trying to get this river crossing secured. Uh, and 
it doesn't take long for the officers of the 3rd Infantry to realize that they're not going to be able to take this bridge without taking heavy casualties. They are getting pinned down. They are under heavy fire, snipers, all this stuff, right? They can't just go out and run across this bridge. It's a it's a death zone. They They need help. They need air support, which in this case is our friend, 28-year-old Captain Kim Campbell of the 75th Expeditionary Fighter Squadron. Um, she was born Kim Reed. Uh, after, after the U.S. Air Force Academy, she marries a guy named Scott Campbell. She's Kim Campbell. Her call sign is KC, which is not just her initials, but it also stands for Killer Chick, uh, which is her, uh-huh. her call sign in, in the Air Force. And I don't feel like that's the kind of call sign you get without earning it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and she's in the cockpit of an A-10 Warthog, just so happens, uh, when this call comes through. She was on her way in to Iraq from Kuwait on a combat mission, but when the call comes in that there's American troops in heavy fire, she was going to attack some kind of, you know, ground target somewhere else away from the fighting. But when the call comes in, they're like, hey, we need help right now. She's like, all right, I can get over there. So she and her wingman peel off and they head straight into Baghdad to try to to try to attack the Republican Guard there. Um, She comes in through a dust storm, which probably isn't great for the avionics of a fighter plane, but or for your visuals, or I don't know if you're flying by instruments through a dust storm. I'm picturing The Mummy. Remember that movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. so she's coming in through this dust storm over Baghdad. And you know, like I said, the, the city's under enemy control and it's heavily fortified, not just against ground targets, but also against air targets. So she kind of comes in through this dust storm to find the city which is on fire right there's fires everywhere there's explosions there's rpg contrails there's tracer fire um and some of it is being directed at her as well because hey enemy unit on the radar here let's start shooting at it um like i said the the warthog is is fast enough that a guy on the ground will have a hard time tracking it but you know the the iraqis have some pretty state-of-the-art radar and and anti-aircraft weaponry and you know we know how these wars end, so it's easy to kind of talk bad about the Iraqi military. But this was a very, very advanced, you know, this was one of the toughest armies in the world. Um, and uh, and they had some pretty good stuff. So anti-aircraft fire starts coming at her immediately. And she only has a few seconds to size up what she's looking at here. Oh, only a few seconds. That's, that's going to be difficult because she's traveling a couple hundred miles an hour through dust storm, war zone, fire. She has to pick out camouflage targets like 400 meters from friendly lines. And then what does she have to do? Dive straight down nose first to aim the gun and unleash a massive barrage of death. Yeah. And, you know, this isn't a video game where it's like enemies are here. They're all highlighted in red and you just shoot at them. You know, the way close air support works, she is on the radio with the guys from the 3rd Infantry, and they are saying, like, hey, across the bridge, this house, can you hit that with a gun on a 30-degree dive at 420 miles an hour while enemies are shooting at you? Um, (laughs) Can I describe to you over the radio what this looks like so that the instant you come out the other end of this dust storm, you can pick up that building I'm talking about? Try to think about, like, when you're... You know, giving directions. Yeah. When you're thinking about like you're at like a a concert or like the mall and you're trying to connect to your friend and you're on the phone, like I'm at the top of the escalator and like just just a little bit to right. I'm waving. Can you see me? Like it's like Mm -hmm. that's how they have to coordinate this stuff. There isn't like a hey, you know, I, I highlighted them for you on your on your HUD. Right. So. She has to drive in uh, and she's heading straight down on these Republican Guard guys who are armed with RPGs, which are rocket propelled grenades. Rocket propelled grenades. It's not role playing game. This is. Yeah, these guys aren't sitting here playing D&D and she's got to blow them out of the air. So, so yeah, um, but she's she's a, a combat veteran. She's this, this is her second tour of duty here. She's already logged hundreds of hours of combat flight time. Um, and these guys need her. They're calling like, hey, you know, we're getting shot up here. Yeah, we need you. Yeah, yeah. Kim Campbell dives her warthog down at a steep angle straight at the enemy. She opens up the throttle and unleashes uh, a few thousand pound and a half 
big 30 millimeter rounds bullets from the 19 foot long Galway Avenger Gatling gun strapped to the front nose of her jet. And then when she's done with that run, she has to pull hard on the stick. She pulls some some pretty serious G-force power against her, like kind of brownout, blackout levels of G-forces uh, to pull up and out of there as fast as possible because they are shooting at her um, and they're tracking her with radar and, and anti-aircraft missile systems and things like that. So she does that. She comes around. She makes a second pass. She comes around again. She's out of Gatling gun ammo, but she's still got those rockets and bombs and stuff. She does another pass. Um, she unleashes all of her high-explosive rockets. Uh, but by this point, they know that she's there, and she's been shooting at them, and they've been shooting at her, but they're they're kind of they're finding finding the target. The entire city of Baghdad is is kind of waiting for her to come back on this third this third run and she has to make it because they're killing Americans down there and we got to like they're killing these guys trying to cross the bridge you got to take them out and so she comes down she fires the last of her rockets and as the the end of her payload is done um every gun in Iraq is pointing at her and bullets are bouncing off the armor like machine gun rounds and and rifle fire doesn't it's not going to affect it's like that you've got that titanium armor that's what this thing was designed for that's not working but anti-aircraft artillery is blowing up all around her and missiles are streaking past her, RPGs are streaking past her. And then suddenly there's a huge explosion that rocks the entire A-10. Um, a surface-to-air missile strikes the tail of the A-10, uh, blows pieces of it off, riddles the entire fuselage with shrapnel holes, shreds the tail, shreds the engine cowling, blows out the hydraulics, blows out the horizontal stabilizers. In case you don't know anything about airplanes, those are all important parts of the vehicle. Um, the plane shakes, rolls left, and begins a death spiral nosedive towards Baghdad. Oof. Every panel, control panel, everything is screaming at her, controls completely non-responsive. Warning, warning, eject. Pat, what do you do if you're in this situation? I would probably say a bad word. But I'm sure that happens. Yeah, we're, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we're nosediving into a um, densely populated city on fire, uh, in the middle of enemy fire. We're running low on ammo. Controls aren't responding. Oh, I know what to do. Ben, I would use the force. Yeah, and that's roughly what happens. So she has a split second to think about this. Uh, she realizes she has two options. She can eject and let her multi-million dollar jet explode in the middle of a city of 11 million people and risk almost certain capture by Iraqi troops because the city is still under their control. They're all over the place. Or yeah. she can um, fight and try to regain control of the vehicle and risk dying in a towering fireball. She chooses to fight for it. Okay. She doesn't want to eject. She thinks she can do this. Turns out the brakes, steering, rudders, flaps, and flight gear are all failing to respond. So what does she do? She This is a thing that you can do in this aircraft. She cuts the hydraulics and switches over to manual piloting mode. Here's the general idea, the way she describes it is um, when you lose all the hydraulics, you don't have speed brakes, you don't have brakes, and you don't have steering. So she basically kills the power steering and the power brakes. There are literally like a series of wires that connect the flight stick and all of that to the rudders and flaps and all of these things. Captain Kim Campbell has to pull herself out of a tailspin under enemy fire by piloting this multi-million dollar fighter jet like the Wright brothers piloted their Wright flyer in 1903. <laughs> um, yeah. Cables and yeah. pulleys, like literally wrestling the thing with like, and from what I understand of this, you know, I've, I've, I've seen some, some kind of amateur pilots talk about it. And it's like, this is not, this is, like you, this requires serious upper body strength to you're literally wrestling the airplane. Yeah. And this is not just a little airplane like the Wright brothers had, or I'm also picturing Wiley Coyote because he's all about crappy contraptions and stuff. It's, it's definitely like that. Yeah. It's so you've got the contraption end of things, but it's, it's not like a little two propeller puddle jumper. This is an A-10 Warthog. And 
we're in a dangerous situation and Kim Campbell is using the force, but the type of force that equals mass times acceleration. Yes, yes. She is in a 25,000 pound aircraft that is missing its tail and big parts of both wings. But somehow, miraculously, she regains control using this wires and cables system. Uh, it's a method of flying that A-10 pilots practice exactly once during their training uh, and not trying to pull it out of a dive. Like they flip it into manual while they're flying in good conditions level at high altitude uh, with the option of turning it back off again and going back to hydraulics. Uh, but she... Yeah, so she's never done the entire procedure before. No, no. Like blowing off the tail not, of your aircraft and then trying to switch to manual in, in a death yeah. spiral is not part of like standard operating procedure yeah. for, for Air yeah. Force Academy. <laughs> Maybe probably even in the simulators, but even the simulators wouldn't do a good job because they don't really, they wouldn't be able to, they would have a hard time kind of simulating the actual force you'd need to maneuver this thing. Uh, the actual, like you, you have to fight this thing you have to arm wrestle a jet fighter. So vehicle's crippled, but she pulls out of the dive. She straightens it out. She flies over downtown Iraq, still being shot at by a couple hundred AA guns. Um, she can't really tell exactly how damaged it is. She can look around the cockpit, kind of get an idea. She can look at her instruments, everything's screaming at her and, and flashing bad colors. Um, but there are pictures that I, I very strongly encourage listeners to go look at of what this thing looked like. Like pieces of it are falling off. I don't know if you saw the movie Hot Shots with Charlie Sheen where like he gets shot up at the end and then the, it's just like just a cockpit kind of drops down onto the aircraft carrier. That's what I picture with this. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's, uh -huh. it's insane how much damage this vehicle took, um, but it's still flying. And as it was kind of the more damaged it got, the more easy it was for other things to shoot it and hit it. Okay, but she pulls out. She gets out of Baghdad, and she is manually flying the aircraft back to her base, her air base in Kuwait. Now, she could have, at this point, she could have ejected. She's out. She's over friendly territory. She could eject. The plane will explode, but, uh, but she'd live. But she's like, you know what? I I think I can land this. And the way she describes it, she had no doubt in her mind she could land it. So she and, and her wingman is she's she's got her flight leader that she's been following. Um, but she tells him, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go in for a manual landing. So how common are manual landings like this? They've probably done this a few times in training, right? No, the the procedure with landing the plane, flying by wire is one thing. They train that once during, you know, while you're working on the vehicle. But landing the plane manually, landing the plane by wire is so dangerous that uh, Kim Campbell says that it, they don't even practice it in full in, in A-10 flight training at all. In fact, manual landings in the A-10 had only been attempted exactly twice before this. The first time, twice, the, twice, yes. two times. The first time, okay. the plane cartwheeled and exploded, and the pilot died. The second time, the A-10 broke in half and caught fire, and the pilot was only saved when fire crews pulled him out of the inferno. And now, Kim Campbell is trying to do it with a plane that has been completely shot to pieces. Looks like Swiss cheese. It, it doesn't look like it should be flying. Um, and she's going to try to land this one manually. Now, here's the thing, is I wish I had some dramatic buildup moment ending to insert here. But according to her flight lead, he said, quote, she landed in manual more smoothly than I landed with hydraulics. It was just no problem. Three wheels down, textbook landing, yeah. despite the plane's wing being like half hanging off and the tail being shredded. Uh, and the next morning, Katz and Kim Campbell is out there again, flying close air support for a rescue mission over Baghdad, just like nothing had happened. Whoa, doesn't miss a beat. She goes on to serve three tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan. She flies 375 combat hours, which is like 15 seasons of an hour long TV show on network TV. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So she's done a lot and very well sounds like yes so yeah yeah so for those actions in april 2003 
when Kim Campbell both eliminated an enemy position that was danger close to friendly troops, and also because she had flown home with wires and cranks. For all of this, she received the Distinguished Flying Cross and got a commendation from the South Carolina legislature. And okay, that's cool, but she also got a paper napkin that a soldier from the 3rd Infantry left for her in her ready room later that week. He'd written on it, simple handwritten message, if it hadn't been for you guys, I wouldn't still be here. And Kim Campbell goes on to command a theater operation group consisting of several squadrons. She was a faculty chair at the Air Force Academy, and then she retired with the rank of colonel, and now she does teaching and public speaking. And when someone asked her what it was like to take so much incoming fire in a war zone, she said, those are the risks you are going to take to help the guys on the ground. That's our job. That's what we do. Our guys were taking fire, and you want to do everything you can to help them out. That is Kim Campbell and the A-10 Warthog. And just um, a couple of really, a really cool piece of equipment and um, in the hands of somebody who is is brave and talented and well-trained. And it is a... Uh, so really amazing to see what it's capable of and and what the uh, what these pilots are capable of. So um, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We we had a fun time putting it together and we really hope you guys liked listening to it. Please do um, remember to like and subscribe and share our show with uh, your friends if you if you enjoy it because uh, that really does help us out a lot. So. Um, Thank you guys so much and happy new year. And uh, we will see you on the next one. Stay badass. Badass of the Week is an iHeartRadio podcast produced by High Five Content. Executive producers are Andrew Jacobs, me, Pat Larish, and my co-host, Ben Thompson. Writing is by me and Ben. Story editing is by Ian Jacobs, Brandon Fibbs. Mixing and music and sound design is by Jude Brewer. Special thanks to Noel Brown at iHeart. Badass of the Week is based on the website badassoftheweek.com, where you can read all sorts of stories about other badasses. If you want to reach out with questions, ideas, you can email us at badasspodcast at badassoftheweek.com. If you like the podcast, subscribe, follow, listen, and tell your friends and your enemies if you want, as we'll be back next week with another one. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. You know, changing your oil with a full synthetic oil like Castrol Edge can help your engine get more miles. Right now, you can get five quarts with an STP Extended Life oil filter for only $36.99. 
Get started on your next job today with the parts you need when you need them at AutoZone or AutoZone.com. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply.